0: She wanted to know if it's okay to tell her six-year-old that he may not sleep in her bed. She was worried that he would be hurt and she would forever damage his psyche. Listen, I'm going to tell you all about this and the fact that there's a terrible, dangerous, hidden cost to the alternative, peaceful, attachment, gentle, respectful parenting world And in this episode, you'll discover what it is so that you can avoid this pitfall, save your relationship with your child, and even your own health. I don't think I'm being overdramatic here at all. So stick with me until the end, because I wanna share with you a completely new paradigm, a completely different way of viewing parenting that is not stuck in an old and broken system that leaves you either completely depleted, exhausted, malnourished, and upset, and resentful, or leaves your child damaged, broken, and really scarred for life. You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Hi, I'm Avital. If you're just meeting me for the first time, I am a mindful parenting coach. I'm the mother of four. And my goal is to help you, my fellow imperfect and intentional parents, to say goodbye to clutter, chaos, and to manage our conflicts so that we can reclaim peace, presence, and play for our families. Look, what I do is I try out the ideas that I learn, all of the alternatives ideas that I read about and that I hear about, I try them out in my own lab, my family, and then I share those that work with you. Real quick before we continue, I just wanna say a huge thank you. You guys have been leaving amazing ratings and reviews and sharing out The Parenting Junkie Show on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and emailing me the sweetest emails. So thank you so very much. And as you know, I am entering each and every one of you who does so into a giveaway just for fun. And every week I'll be announcing a winner of one of my courses. So every time you tag me on Instagram or in your stories, um, and every time you leave a review, etc., I will see those, I will add you guys to the list and I can add you multiple times and then we use a random selector, which selects a number on that list and that person wins. And we randomly select the course that they win as well. So that's really fun and cool. But I do just want to tell you that if you are leaving iTunes ratings and reviews outside of the USA thank you. That means the world to me, but I can't see them. So you need to screenshot your review and somehow get it to me, preferably by tagging me on Instagram. Just share your review on Instagram if you've done it in an international iTunes that is not in the USA. And tag me at Parenting Junkie so I can add you and also enjoy your review. Thank you so much. So I'm going to announce today's winner. Drum roll, please. I'm extremely excited. Thank you so very much to freedude.se. And I happen to know that this is Morgan Pryor. Hi, Morgan, one of the original requesters of this podcast. And also, Morgan, thank you so much for joining the TPJ launch team on Facebook. You have been instrumental to getting this podcast off the ground. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you left a review on iTunes with five shiny stars. And here is the review that freedude.se from Sweden left. I've been asking for this for a while and I'm so happy you did it. This way I feel I can become a better parent while driving or working out. It has been difficult to find the time to see your amazing show in YouTube. So happy for the pod. Yay, free dude from Sweden. I'm so thrilled. Thank you for this amazing review. Thank you for the five shiny stars. That warms my heart big time. And you, my friend, have just won yourself my course, Empathic Limits, which is a best-selling course all about how to set limits with empathy. So this course has been running for about two years and we get a lot of amazing feedback on empathic limits. So Morgan, I really hope that you enjoy it as well. Here's what Maxine said about empathic limits. She wrote, I have empathic limits and revisit it often. It's amazing, really helpful for gaining a better idea of which limits I want to set and why and how to handle it peacefully. So Morgan, that is on its way to you. All you need to do, my friend, is email us, support at com and just say, I'm a winner. Uh, write in that you're the winner and we will get you access to that course for free. Yay, you won. Let me ask you something. Do you ever feel completely depleted as a parent? Do you ever feel touched out, exhausted, as though your body, your brain, your mind, all of your energy, all of your resources have just been sucked out of you and you have nothing left for yourself? Ah, If you do, you are so not alone. This is something that I hear from so many of my clients and members of my community that they just feel spent. They just feel completely Completely depleted. Look, we are told in our culture to follow the child, right? And I really relate to this idea this idea of giving, the idea of attachment parenting, the idea of always being available to our children, nighttime parenting, daytime parenting, nursing on demand, co sleeping, holding our child, being empathic and open towards them, playing with them, getting down on the floor with them. And we praise child-centered institutions and programs, uh, programs and people and communities that are able to follow the child and be child-centered. We are told to give 12 hugs a day and to never let our children cry, right? We're told to really just provide for our children all of the time and always be loving and caring and giving and patient and manage our own feelings and be there for them and give, 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 give. And sacrifice and martyrdom and victimhood ensue. This is the one side of what we're told, right? The child-centered side. But then on the other hand, we're also scolded for raising snowflakes and teacups, for raising fragile kids, in other words, right? For not letting our kids experience resiliency and grit and, uh, you know, go through frustrations and obstacles. So it's very, very confusing. We're told to give all of this stuff, but then we often find ourselves burnt out and teetering on the edge of breakdown and battling depression and resentful of, you guessed it, of our children. Parents like me (laughs) and and parents in my community often feel that they want to be child-centered. They want to follow their child's lead and they want to always preserve that attachment and that peaceful attitude and being there for their children, but they often end up feeling spent. Recently, a member of my community, shout out to Maxine, (laughs) put it like this. She said, the peaceful parenting approach to over-parenting is yet more parenting. Well, I'm just going to say it. I'm spent. Basically, what Maxine is pointing out is that often when we are complaining about a child who's acting out or having difficulties or being challenging, the peaceful parenting advice is to give that child yet more attention, yet more special time, yet more of ourselves. Often the problem of over-parenting of a child who's being over-controlled or over-helicoptered or over- cared for or we're all over them and we're not allowing them to experience their frustrations is yet more parenting. Okay, so spend special time with that child and give them attention and bolster up their self-esteem and be there for them and then they'll be fine. Then they won't be challenging. Let me take you back to that story that I started this episode with, which is my client Angela from Singapore, who asked me if it's okay to tell her six-year-old that he may not sleep in her bed. And, you know, Angela was exhausted. She hadn't slept in years. She was resentful. She was angry and she was dangerously tired. In fact, she shared with me that she had recently had a minor car accident that was due to her exhaustion. She was so tired because she was a light sleeper and having him in her bed for the last six years meant that she never had a good night's sleep. She just did not sleep well with a child in her bed. And she had read that co sleeping is healthy and they should co sleep until they age out of it on their own and child led, right? Naturally, it will come naturally when the child is ready. Follow the process, just let the child do that thing. Don't interfere because then you will damage them. You will hurt them forever. You will scar them. And Angela was literally not able to set that boundary to make a change to prioritize her own sleep because she was on this child centered approach or Denise, another client of mine who wouldn't buckle in her 18-month-old toddler because he didn't like it. He would cry. He would scream. He didn't want to. And she felt that if she did that to him, if she physically forced him to buckle in, then she was somehow being violent towards him. And she was, again, damaging his psyche, damaging his childhood, causing a forever scar. And so she was in this conundrum where obviously it's not safe for him not to be buckled, but she felt that that was less dangerous than the emotional discomfort of him crying, of him being upset, of him feeling that his body autonomy had been violated somehow. So these are two stories, Denise and Angela are two stories of parents who were following this child-centered approach, this child-led approach. And I'm using those uh, terms very loosely and interchangeably. And obviously, they each have their own kind of world behind them. But I'm grouping things together into this area where we are following the child's needs, where the child's needs are what's paramount. Sometimes in an educational setting, that's called child-centered Um, Sometimes in a parenting setting, it's called child-led, like baby-led weaning, for example, right, where the child leads the process. And in many cases, that's a wonderful thing. But I hope that you can begin to see and maybe you can relate to the cracks in that theory where the parent is becoming really um, hurt, damaged, exhausted, depleted, malnourished, all of the things, and ultimately resentful and hateful towards the child because of this child-centered approach. But I want to contrast that to an adult-centered approach, which is what many of us grew up with, right? The punitive parents, the controlling parents, the authoritarian parents who said, because I said so, my way or the highway, in my home, you'll do as I say. Under my roof, this is how we do it. And they are controlling and they only see their own needs and they don't take into account the child's needs at all. I mean, I have friends today who still parent this way. I have a friend who I'll just call her Hannah, who told me, ashamed, she was ashamed when she said this, she kind of told me in a whisper and she leaned in in a whisper and she said, you know what we tell? My five-year-old is in the slow reading group. But then she told me proudly that she had sat her five-year-old down and forced her to do her reading homework all of Saturday morning, offering her a Barbie if she did it all correctly, which the child couldn't do and didn't do. She was daydreaming, she was singing, And of course, her mother was extremely angry with her and gave her a punishment for not being able to sit and focus for hours on her reading assignment, which in my opinion, wasn't age appropriate for this child. It wasn't something that she could do. And so this was a very adult-led agenda. I've decided that you need to learn reading when I say, what I say, and how I say. And if you don't do it that way, I'll use manipulation like bribery or like threats and punishments to get you to do my bidding. That's the adult-centered way that most of us here in this community are trying to turn away from. Okay, so let's dive into these two kind of polarized dichotomies and see if there's a completely new way. Spoiler, uh, Spoiler alert, of course, there is, and I'm going to share it with you here today. Now, before I do, if this is intriguing to you and you are also interested in finding a new way and you think other parents might benefit from this episode, do me a favor and snap a selfie right now or just take a screenshot of this episode. And I would absolutely love it if you could share it out on Instagram or on Facebook and tag me at Parenting Junkie. You can use the hashtag #ParentingJunkie. And if you've had this problem of feeling spent, of feeling exhausted, of feeling kind of derailed in your own needs and your own self-care, I bet you know someone else who feels that way too. Just tag them so that we can spread out this message and we can help even more people. Okay, I'll wait a moment while you do that. Fantastic. So let's just reiterate what the actual problems are with these two approaches. When you try the child centered approach to parenting, on the whole, okay, there are areas that we definitely want to try a child centered approach. But if on the whole you're saying, my child is the most important thing, my child's feelings are the most important thing, I always want my child to feel comfortable and happy, even at my expense. The issues that come up here, and the reason that we fail here, is because we are out of balance. We are putting all of this pressure and all of the importance on one element of our family, one person in our lives, one person who's actually part of an interconnected web of people, one person whose behavior and whose life and whose approach and whose communication and all of those things affects others. So if, for example, I say, well, my baby's comfort in sleep is the only important thing, and I will do whatever it takes for my baby to have the exact type of sleep they want, when they want it, even at my expense. Can you see, I'm sure you can, and maybe you've experienced this, I have, how very quickly that comes at the expense of my sleep. So for example, if I'm always Uh, nursing my baby to sleep and I'm always rocking my baby to sleep, then maybe I'm starting to get backache. Maybe I'm having my baby in my bed, even though they're kicking and rolling over and I'm waking up all night. Maybe I'm uh, nursing my baby all of the time and so I can't tend to my other needs. So what very quickly happens is that I start to burn out. I start to lose my resources And I'm pouring them down this drain of following 100% the other person's preferences with no expectation for the other person to shape themselves and mold themselves in my direction a little bit as well. And so what happens with this child-centered approach is A, the adult burns out. The adult builds resentment. And you think you're the most loving, giving attachment parent in the world. But what I see over and over and over again is that it's not sustainable for most people. For most people, it is not sustainable to do that without a serious hidden cost being paid. A serious hidden cost, which is that the parent is not well cared for, the parent is getting burnt out, And this actually comes at the expense of the child at the end of the day because the parent starts to feel resentful and short with the child. So then the parent snaps at the child or gets angry with the child or has no patience to play with the child or to be there for the child or to listen or to actually connect because we're so busy uh, trying to fill this unrealistic dream of the specific behavior that we need to fill in order to be child-led and child-centered. That's the first thing that happens with a child-centered approach, is that the adult burns out. The second thing that happens is that the child misses out on learning adaptability, on learning how to, I don't want to say compromise, because it's not so much about compromise. It's more about shaping our needs and our desires and our behaviors in a way that are pro-social, that actually take other people into account. Now, of course, a baby can't do this from the moment that they're born, but It's a gradual, slow, over time growing curve, a learning curve that all people can adapt to. All people are designed to be social creatures. They're designed to respond to those around them in a way that the people around them can continue to function and want to continue to function and in the way that they are taught to so if you teach your child how to treat you and what you're teaching them is that your needs don't matter that your sleep doesn't matter that your quiet time doesn't matter etc cetera, etc cetera, they will absolutely adapt to that they will adapt to that and be ever more demanding of you and ever less flexible with you and and ever less tolerant of your needs, of their capacity to wait, of their capacity to give, of their capacity to get used to a new reality. If you teach them that whatever they want, if they cry, if they're upset, if they want you, they can always have you. If you teach them that you can't leave them with anybody else, because if you leave them with anybody else, they'll be sad and they can't handle that. If you teach them that they need you to sleep, that they need you to pick up after them and to clean for them, that they need you to carry them all of the time, that they need you to solve problems for them or to be there at every single step of the way. If they, if you teach them that you're the only adult they can be okay with, that they can't handle a babysitter or grandma or a play uh, center or whatever, that's what they'll learn. That is what they'll learn. If you teach them that that is a big deal, that that is scary, that that is impossible, that they're not capable of it, that when they cry, it means that something's wrong. If they cry, it means that they can't be left with a babysitter. Or when they cry, it means that they can't get to sleep on their own. You are teaching them that their fragility is true, that they actually can't do those things by themselves, that they can't overcome, that they can't adapt, and that they can't adjust. And so when we teach them those things, that becomes the reality and they really can't. It's a vicious cycle that feeds itself more and more. And that is my issue with the child-centered approach is that it leads to resentment and burnout on on the part of the parent and it leads to fragility on the part of the child to a sense that I can't overcome any kind of challenge, that I can't overcome any kind of obstacle, that I'm more needy and more uh, challenged than other children in managing my Uh, emotions. It teaches them that big emotions like feeling sad or feeling scared are so terrible and that they can't handle them that mommy or daddy will always come and save them and stop that external situation that is leading to those big feelings to save them so that they shouldn't have to experience those feelings. That's what they're learning. And so the child-centered approach fails on those accounts. It fails to teach pro-social behaviors. It fails to teach adaptability, adjustability, resilience, anti-fragility, grit, strength. It fails to teach empathy because it teaches the child that only their feelings matter, only their preferences matter, only their needs matter and they don't need to start to take into account other people's needs. Whereas what we know is that children as young as one years old can start to really empathize and see other people. So rather than playing into that and building up their empathy muscle and their adaptability and their immense flexibility, we actually create rigidity. We actually teach them that they can't adapt and that they can't be flexible. But the first point, of course, about resentment and burnout on the parent side is so real, right? I get these messages all the time. I'm I'm exhausted, I have bags under my eyes, my back is aching, I haven't slept in years. That is why we all feel like victims and martyrs as parents. It must stop. The sacrificial narrative of motherhood must stop. It's terrible for mothers and it's terrible for children. So then you say, okay, what's the alternative? Is it the adult-centered approach that you said? And I say, no, (laughs) the adult-centered approach is just as awful, right? When I say the adults are the ones that matter and children should be seen and not heard, and what I say goes, and because I said so, and my needs trump your needs, we raise children who feel that they don't matter, that their voice isn't heard. We raise children who learn to be punitive to others as well. We raise children who also learn to be extremely selfish. Not because they've been over empathized with, but because they've been under empathized with, because their point of view never mattered. So we raise children who either learn to internalize that dialogue and say, no, my opinion doesn't matter. My voice doesn't matter. My preferences don't matter. I'll just roll over and, you know, turn the other cheek because I don't matter. I'm not important. And I, you know, no one cares about me. I'm not loved. I'm not unconditionally accepted for who I am because my needs aren't important. Or we raise children who learn to externalize that dialogue and say, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to show them I do matter. I'm going to punish them back. I'm going to stake my claim to attention. I'm going to get good. I'm going to get attention, whether it's good or bad. I'm going to make them care about me. And I'm going to do it by hook or by crook. And often that's when the children are acting out and being rebellious and punishing back because they've been so controlled and they're opinions and preferences have not been taken into account at all, so much so that now they need to push back and to force themselves into the picture somehow. So a child in this case is either deflated completely, lacks self-esteem, lacks self-confidence, feels that they don't matter, feels that they're not loved, which we all know is not a good thing. Or they're going the opposite route and they are inflating themselves into grandiosity, becoming attention-seeking, becoming attention-grabbing, right? Becoming rebellious, et cetera, which we also don't prefer. And that is the result of the adult-centered approach, not to mention the fact that I don't think adults feel very good. I don't think any of us want to be tyrannical and dictatorial and we don't like that feeling. We want to feel like a loving, gentle person. We want to feel like we're good communicators and not like we're ruling our homes with an iron fist. None of us enjoyed being ruled that way as children, and most of us don't feel very good about ourselves when we behave that way as adults. So then what is the third and completely radically different approach? What is the new way? If these two ways are broken, what else do you got, (laughs) right? I'm about to tell you that, and just before I do, a quick message. Remember, this episode is brought to you by my free masterclass, how to manage the worst tantrums without yelling, punishing, bribing, threatening, or counting to three. In it, you'll learn why tantrums are like poop and what to do about it. You'll learn the five-step formula to find P-E-A-C-E, peace, and how and why to ride the wave of the tantrum. After listening to this training and applying the ideas, Anastasia wrote to me on Instagram all about her daughter's big meltdown. It feels absolutely amazing to hold that space for her. It was exactly how I always felt I should be handling breakdowns. It was so good for my soul and spirit. I can't even explain it. The point is, thank you. This tantrum was amazing. If you're experiencing big, bad emotional meltdowns and like Anastasia, you want to do something about it that is peaceful, kind, and aligned, you'll want to hear this countercultural alternative advice that was born of my desperation with my son's years of big emotional meltdowns. To get this free training, you can go to theparentingjunkie.com forward slash tantrums and sign up, it's absolutely free. Okay, so to summarize, we know we don't want an adult-centered approach, that punitive, top-down, hierarchical, patriarchal approach where there's an adult, they're the most important one, their say and their needs are what leads and what matters, and the child just needs to be seen and not heard. Ah, We don't want that one. And We also don't want the child-centered approach where children lead the way at the expense of adults. And we say, whatever the child's needs are, I'm willing to sacrifice myself and bend over backwards to make sure to cater to those needs and lead to my own burnout. And also to the fragility of my child who isn't learning to adapt and develop their empathy and their capacity to handle a little bit of challenge and a little bit of frustration sometimes uh, when they have to wait for their needs or have their needs met in a little bit of a different way than maybe what they preferred. What then? Okay, so let's talk about a completely new approach, which is the approach that I like to um, really try to pursue, and that is relationship-centered. I think that this is a really alternative way. It's neither the child-centered nor the adult-centered, but it actually looks at the space between the adult and the child. It actually takes the entire family's needs, the holistic needs of the family. And then when you zoom out, you could say of the community, of the, you know, of the town, of the country, of the planet. It takes our needs, our interconnected needs, the web of needs uh, between people into account. I like to call this and parenting, like a A-N-D d parenting in, in the sense that it's me and you, not me or you. I mean, if you think about any other relationship um, that's on par, like for example, a husband and wife relationship, it would be very strange if there was kind of communities that are saying, we promote a husband-centered, husband-led approach. Uh, and perhaps that's kind of what did happen historically. And that's why <laughs> why the feminist movement was so powerful, because it didn't make sense for marriages to be husband-led. And it doesn't make sense for them to be wife-led either, right? The whole idea of a healthy relationship is that everybody gets their needs met, is that everybody's preferences matter, is that there is a give and take, there is a mutuality, there is an inclusion of your needs in my needs. In other words, the definition that I often like to use for love is that when you love something or someone, in this case, you take them as part of yourself. Their needs become part of your needs. And so your needs together as a unit, as a group, are what trumps the need of any specific individual. And we no longer see individual needs as coming at our expense. We see it as part of our story. And that might sound a little bit totalitarian, but what I really mean is rejecting the false dichotomy of me against you, rejecting the idea that it's all right? Me or my child. Who's more important, me or my child? That's something I get asked, right? I get asked this question, who is more important, me or my child? What should I put first? Their needs or mine? Well, no, you can't choose one or the other. Now, of course, sometimes it's going to be one or the other, right? In a specific scenario, you're going to have to make that choice. Sometimes there will be conflict. There will be a clash, right? It will be either you or me gets what we want right now but the overall picture, what we want to kind of aim for in general is this idea that we look for win-wins. We look for situations that both of us can live with comfortably and even really follow our joy together, right? So if I'm talking about sleep, for example, how uh, can I flip that script not to be who's more important, my baby's needs or my needs, but we say, what are our needs as a family? Our needs are as a family are that we all get healthy, nourishing sleep. And that might include that we also need to be close together, but it might also mean that we mustn't be too close together, right? And now we start to look at us, us as an organism, us as a unit that has to work together to include our various points of view and our various needs that might have seemed conflicting, might have seemed to be at odds with each other. But in fact, when we look at the organism as a whole, we can start to actually understand that there are priorities that we all have. We all have the priority of the mother in the family not being exhausted. That's a priority that even the baby holds, even though the baby is not consciously aware of that and won't be for many years to come. We know that it is in the baby's best interest to have a mother who is not exhausted. We realize this, yes? We spoke to ourselves in a false voice when we said it's either child-centered or adult-centered. It's a false dichotomy when we say well the baby's needs are to be rocked and breastfed to sleep on demand all of the time and to sleep close to the parent and the parent's needs are to get some space and some time alone and a good night's sleep and therefore their needs are at odds. No that's a false dichotomy because what we're not accounting for is that the baby actually also needs for the parent to get good rest and that the mother actually also needs to give proximity and closeness to the baby to a certain degree, right? These are needs that both of us actually share. And as a unit, as an organism, holistically, we both all together need healthy sleep patterns, healthy connection patterns, and healthy separation patterns. That's something that we all actually need. So we're looking for a win-win. Now we can start to be creative in crafting that solution that holds within it all of our interests as they start to unify and unite to be one. So you can apply this to any decision you're making. Like I want to, for example, send my child to a certain kind of school and they don't want to go to that school, right? Well, now we can start to factor in the holistic needs of the family, including the parents and including the child, right? My child needs more movement or needs more outdoor time, but I need some time alone and I don't want to homeschool. Okay, now I can start to look at those needs that we have, all of those needs, and try to craft a creative solution that answers the needs together. So we want to look for that balance while we realize that the pendulum might swing a little bit more towards the adult and then back more towards the child, but realizing that the pendulum swings and what's interesting is the swing itself. It's the in-between space. It's that negative space that's between the parent and the child where we can maintain our goodwill, our good relationship towards each other, right? And, and, And that's why we can also look to conflict as an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to become more precise and more attuned when we perceive a conflict between our needs, between the child's needs and the parents' needs or between the parents and the parents, right? or between a child and a child, as in sibling rivalry. We can look to that conflict as an opportunity to say, well, one minute, it, it appears that there's a conflict of needs. How can we now reframe this, retell this story so that we can unify both of our needs under the same umbrella? How can we reevaluate this the situation and then be creative about finding solutions? So my friend Hannah, who told me about her five-year-old not reading, she was swinging the pendulum all the way to the adult-centered side. She was saying, my need is for my child to read. My child is not ready for that and is not interested in that and is not willing to do that. So I'm going to use manipulation like punishments and bribes in order to get her to fulfill my need. Whereas had she swung the pendulum towards the child-centered and start to do that dance of the back and forth, she could start to see what the relationship's needs are. The relationship's needs actually trump the adult's needs and the child's needs because the relationship's needs generally hold within them both of those. The relationship needs to stay in good standing. The relationship needs to come back to goodwill. The relationship needs to be full more full on love and hugs and kisses and joy than it is depleted by criticisms and separations and frustrations and anger and yelling and and manipulations, right? So the relationship, in order to keep the relationship in good standing, my friend Hannah really needs to make sure that the process of learning to read, the process of adopting literacy doesn't harm the relationship. In other words, first and foremost, I'm connected to my child. First and foremost, my child and I feel that both of our needs are understood by each other. First and foremost, I'm looking to create a good atmosphere, a joyful atmosphere, a connected atmosphere. Then I can start to bring in both of our, quote unquote, conflicting agendas, right? My agenda for her to learn to read, her agenda for her to learn to read at her own pace. Because what happens is she's polarized this to say that her daughter doesn't want to read which is not true. Her daughter may well want to read, but she doesn't want to be controlled and she doesn't want to be pushed. She doesn't want to be manipulated. And she may not be ready to want to read yet. It might not be coming right now. So it could be a timing conflict between the adult and the child in this case, right? So if Hannah would actually come alongside her daughter, uh, we'll call her Reenie, if she had come alongside Reenie and said, hey, Rini, really, I know that you're interested in learning to read. When do you think uh, you might be interested in, in reading with me? What would be a good time today? Or if she'd have said, hey, what would you most like to read? Or if she'd say, I would love to play an ABC game with you. Would you like to play? Right? And if she could start to now come with her, come alongside her and honor the relationship-centered approach which says we need to first and foremost stay in good standing with each other. We need to first and foremost feel good together. And then we can incorporate both of our needs moving forward, pointing our arrows in the same direction. If you imagine it like this, you could see the adult-centered way points at the adult, right? It points both the child and the adult at the adult. And the child-centered way points both of the arrows at the child. And what this happens is that the other person wants to point their arrow in a different direction and we start to pull each other apart. They start to polarize and point in opposite directions. The child says, no, I don't want to point at the adult. I don't want to gravitate towards, turn towards, you know, dial in towards the adult needs. So I'm pulling my arrow in the other direction. Same goes for the adult in the child-centered way. No, I'm too tired. No, I don't want to give more. No, I don't want to be touched. No, you can't sit on my lap. And I'm pulling my arrow away from the child. When we look at the relationship-centered approach, it's actually they're both starting to point the arrow at each other, right? And forward together, right? It's kind of like like an arrow uh, joining together and pointing in the same direction. So we join together in the sense that we first and foremost take the relationship into account. How can I help you to feel good about me and you? How can I help you to feel good in this space between us? I'm turning towards you, okay? And then how can we both actually unify our goals together. So if I had to break it down into these kind of steps, right, to understand this relationship-centered way, I would say, number one is I matter, okay? I'm going to take myself into account, my self-care, my boundaries, my flow, my daily schedule, my rhythm, all of my needs, they matter. I'm not going to sacrifice them. I'm not going to give them up. But number two is you matter. Your pace, your choices, your body autonomy, your preferences, your beliefs and dreams and wishes and goals and characteristics and personality and all of those things matter too. Your self-care, your boundaries, your timing, they matter as well. So once I've established that both my preferences matter and your preferences matter, now together we can realize that we matter. It matters that we feel good about each other. It matters that we're not together too much right? We're not enmeshed, we're not encroaching and suffocating each other, but we're also not together too little. We're not feeling abandoned or neglected or separate. We find that good balance. We swing the pendulum, right? That I don't allow you to cross the boundaries that will make me mad. I don't allow you to hurt our balance. In other words, let me give you an example for that, okay? It's like when your child wants to play with sand, but you know that if they play with sand in the house, they will make a mess that you are so on edge, you will not handle that gracefully. You will end up yelling at them. You will get angry and you will feel frustrated and they will feel angry and hurt that you yelled at them. You realize all of that, but you say yes to the sand. That is child centered. You're saying, well, my child needs trump my own needs and I'm not gonna protect the relationship between us. I'm not gonna protect our goodwill because I just wanna say yes. I wanna be a yes parent right? We all want to be yes parents. We want to say yes. We want to be fun. But then when we take that fully child-centered approach, remember, we start to build resentment. We're also robbing our child of an opportunity to handle an obstacle. Like, yes, you wanted to play with the sand, but the answer is no. And you have to learn to adapt to that and to manage that frustration. That's a good emotional vaccination to get, little bouts of frustration that are just built into everyday life. But if on the other hand, I would say, No, you may not play with sand. And I didn't actually do any of the relationship work to explain why or to bridge that gap a little bit or to find an alternative approach that would be adult-centered. That would be saying, well, the only thing that matters is that I don't want mess. Your preference to play with the sand doesn't matter to me. The only thing that matters to me is my preference. And then the child feels trampled and the child feels that you were authoritarian and you were dictatorial and tyrannical because you just put your foot down. The relationship-centered approach would be to say something along the lines of, hey baby, I know you really want to play with the sand, right? We would empathize. We would show that I'm turning towards the child. I care about the child's approach, the child's needs. But I'm also holding within it my needs and my boundaries and I'm owning my part in that. I'm saying, but the thing is, I can't handle sand play right now because I know that if there's a mess, I'm going to flip my lid. I'm, I'm too on edge for mess right now. I won't have time to clean it up. And then together, we're going to align on a new goal. So we'll say, what else would work for you right now? Do you want to do Play-Doh instead? How about we do playing with the sand in the playground? I could take you to the playground now. And we're looking for the solution that answers both of our needs and respects both of our needs, wants, desires, etc. So do you see how that can lead to balance It's a never ending dance and it's balanced in the sense that we keep having to swing back and forth. But if every choice that we make, we could just take a moment to see I matter, you matter and we matter, then I do believe that we would enjoy this parenting thing a whole lot more. We would raise kids who are adaptive and resilient and empathic and learn how to problem solve. But also we would protect our own needs, our own and an energy and not get burnt out and resentful in the process. So I hope that you love this relationship-centered approach. If you do, please let me know. I absolutely appreciate each and every one of you who has reviewed, rated, and subscribed to the podcast, so be sure to do that. And next week, we're gonna talk about anxiety because I know that so many of us, myself included, have struggled terribly with anxiety and many of you on my recent video about anxiety on YouTube rated yourselves at a 7, 8 or even higher out of 10 on the anxiety charts. You were saying that you're at a 7 or an 8 every day with regards to worries and fears about your children and feeling just anxious all day long. Now, I wanna share with you something very vulnerable about myself and about my past when it comes to anxiety in next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe and stay tuned to that. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste.